This is John Mowat, author of Video Marketing Strategy, Harness the Power of Online Video to Drive Brand Growth, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas in order to succeed in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners where you can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. And if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast or just click on the link at marketingbookpodcast.com. And now on with the show. Today, we welcome John Mowat to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, Video Marketing Strategy, Harness the Power of Online Video to Drive Brand Growth, published by Kogan Page. John Mowat is an award-winning content creator, video strategy expert, and public speaker, and is the managing director at Hurricane Media, a UK-based video marketing agency. He's a regular writer and speaker on video marketing and has been published in a range of marketing publications. John started his career at the BBC, where he spent 12 years as producer and director on documentaries, screened internationally on BBC One, BBC Two, and BBC Worldwide. He has made films on topics ranging from cheetahs to drug addicts. And, interesting fact, he spent six months embedded with the Royal Marines in the Gulf War. John, congratulations on video marketing strategy, and welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. That is an introduction. I like that. If only you could do that every time I walk in a room or something like that, that would be fantastic. I'm happy to go along with you and be your front man. Now, John, one question, though. You've done videos about cheetahs and drug addicts, but did you ever do one about cheetahs who were drug addicts? Well, some of the cheetahs that we filmed were heavily drugged. Cheetahs are under pressure to run very fast, so it seems they'd be tempted to take performance-enhancing drugs. That's all, that's the only reason I ask. I think, no, to be honest, the cheetahs that we filmed, a lot of them were on the very opposite of performance-enhancing drugs. They were, they were sort of being sedated heavily, <laughs> but uh, oh, that, was wow. the, that was the point of the film. So they were addicted to completely the wrong end of the spectrum. Well, they have to conserve their energy in order to you know, run as fast as cheetahs. 75 mile an hour. That's oh. what they do. Yeah. yeah, what a what a what an interesting background you've got and we're going to want to talk about why your background is so relevant to marketing, which is why there are lots of people from the publishing and the media journalism who are doing particularly well in marketing now versus people who've been marketing in the, in, in their whole career. But before we go uh, any further, I do have to include a big disclaimer that I think it's important for the listeners to understand, and that's on page 97. You made one thing very clear that I think is important for people to grasp, and that's that video marketing is a very powerful channel, and it's one that's going to continue to grow uh, in reach and significance, but that any video planning must sit within your wider marketing plan. Yes, I would think that there's people in your field who are perhaps mistakenly giving off the impression that all you need to do is video marketing. Oh, well, they're talking nonsense, aren't they? I mean, I think the, the, the joy of video is that it can be used for so many parts of the sales funnel and it can answer so many problems, but it's a, it's a tool on its own. You know, it has to be part of the wider thinking. So, yes, you've honed in on a very key point there. That's 
Absolutely. Well, you know, it reminds me of the folks uh, you're, you know, a couple of years back who were maybe saying, oh, all you need to do is social media or all you need to do is inbound marketing. And they may not have actually been saying that, but people were thinking that because humans like to look for sort of the easy button and they want to just find one or two things that they can do and hope that that works and it doesn't. <laughs> Especially, yeah. I mean, at the moment, if you if you go to if you go to conferences at the moment, what you're hearing is, uh, you need machine learning and you need big data, <laughs> um, and it's like, yeah, okay, but like, you know, you can't just automate spam bots to send responses to people and have a decent brand. Um, it's part of the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And there was one other statistic that I think is very important for the listener to understand. And you said that uh, I can't remember which study, but by 2019. 80% of the world's internet traffic will be video. Yes, it will be. And now, obviously, it's, uh, uh, you've got to remember the one thing about that statistic is it's a massive file. And also, let's not forget Netflix um, and the BBC streaming sites. Um, you know, all that counts as video traffic. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it is still a massive thing and it's only going to get bigger. Yeah, yeah. So please answer the title of chapter one, which is... What is video marketing? Video marketing is the idea of taking a piece of video content and actually using it strategically. So it's instead of going, I want a video, it is what are my business objectives? How do I leverage these pieces of content to solve that business problems? How do I get people to watch it? How do I grow my business? Um, so it's, it's starting to move beyond production of videos into like, Strategic thinking, basically. Yes, that is such an important part. And I also want to jump to the part where what should video marketers be looking at in terms of measuring success? And I already mm. know you're not going to say views or some other vanity metric. I think every marketer who integrates video into their strategy is under pressure from whoever's commissioned them within the company to say, well, how, how's this working? And the, the old metric of how many people have watched it was a wonderful metric, but that really only stands if you're at the very top of the sales funnel. If you have nobody knows who you are, then views is an interesting metric because it just means that's how many people have now heard of you. But as you move through the sales funnel into consideration phase, it's like actually more important is how long have people watched how much of your content have they watched in a row? And what have they done afterwards? Have they shared it? And down the bottom of the sales funnel, it's like, did they click through to the buy page? Um, so we've done very, you know, we talk about this a lot, but we did one video that had um, a potential audience of 10. Um, we got three boot to watch it. They all shared it. So it was watched by 60% of the audience with a 100% share rate. That's a viral sensation in my eyes. <laughs> Um, 60% of the audience, but you know, that's only six views out of a possible 10. So what does that metric even mean? You know? Yeah. How is it tied back to uh, revenue? How is it tied back to sales? How is it tied back to helping move people, educate them through their consideration? And also well, talk about, you did a very interesting experiment as it relates to the dark underbelly of video marketing, where you, you produced two, it was, I guess it was the same video and one of them you did on the up and up and the other one you went and bought like fake views or something. Yeah. I mean, fake views is, a, is the thing that comes and bites people in the ass who are just obsessed with views. Mm -hmm. So if your only metric is views, then somebody's going to sell you that solution. Um, <laughs> so what I did is I made two identical videos. Well, one video, which I did in two ways. And this is of my boy Spencer playing on the Xbox, I think. And one of them, I was just filming how quickly his fingers move because they're just insane. It's amazing they don't have arthritis or some kind of injury from it. And one of the videos I put online and it was called How Fast Does, you know, Do Your Fingers Move When You're Using, When You're Playing a Game? And I did loads of organic stuff around it and I gave it the right titles. And to be fair to that piece of content, I think it's had about 10 views in a few months and even a couple of people liked it which was ridiculous um, and then I did another video which was completely unfindable it had its its name was simply x's and and at symbols and exclamation marks I mean you basically it was not optimized for search <laughs> it wasn't it was it was completely unoptimized for search you were never going to find it and then I I put in a call to this company in Eastern Europe um, and I bought 
I can't actually remember, but it was thousands of views for a few dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was really interesting is that they, I, I chatted to the guys that do it. And what they do is they have um, rows and rows of um, Android phones, which they embed your video in it. And then they just manually go along and scroll through each phone and they just clock up views um, and they just embed it loads of times on a site. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, 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 the metrics are really interesting because all of the views came from one country over a two-hour period and then they disappeared but it just shows that i know that there's some agencies out there who if they have a client who say right the only measure of success is views it's there you go there's a million views for twenty dollars and it goes beyond that i mean you can buy all kinds of it gets into ad fraud and i've had another book on the show about that called bad men by bob hoffman and you people who are thinking oh they've got a lot of followers on social media that's a great thing and there was another book that was on not too long ago about digital influence <laughs> it talked about the rampant fraud it's it's like it wasn't the same topic but it was rhyming in terms of the the fraud in in video but that's not the the main thing we want to talk about what let's talk about something that at the beginning of the book I found so refreshing to hear, and I've lived through all this, and that is the seismic shift in advertising and marketing, where paradigms have stood for 50 or 75 years, and they're just being shaken to their foundations. Talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I what I was when I was trying to write the book, it was like, I mean, I'm a storyteller. I come from television, all this kind of thing. So I was like, how do I open the book with a story that is relevant to the modern world so that it kind of brings it this in a visceral way to life for people? So I did this kind of case study of Johnson & Johnson's Clean and Clear. Now, this brand have been throwing millions of dollars at above the line TV commercials. So their model was there's a TV spot, it's 30 seconds, let's get eyeballs. And what actually was happening is that their their sales were plummeting, their engagement was going and, and people were going somewhere else. They were fundamentally, that model didn't work. So they had this kind of crisis meeting in, in Johnson & Johnson um, in, in about 2014, it was in New Jersey, they're based. And they were like, well, what are we going to do? So they just sacked off the TV model. And as you say, a seismic shift. And instead they said, we're no longer going to talk at our audience. We're instead going to start a conversation with our audience. So they turned it instead of like above the line, they started doing activities where they were talking to younger people and doing lots of videos and events. And it's just completely turned their brand around. So instead of the push message of an advert, they've become a publisher. They've made useful content that people are actually watching and they've used videos online rather than TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll have spent a lot less money and they'll have got much better results. Yes. I just want to quote from the first page. You say, TV advertising is a weakening force in the modern world. It's still effective and it's still going, but it's not what it was. What's more, <laughs> the entire industrial advertising complex, I love that expression, is being shaken up to the point where it is barely recognizable. We're talking to you, agency world. The old certainty yeah. was that the biggest player spent the most on media would therefore get biggest market share and would dictate the playbook of all other brands. This is what kept the likes of Procter & Gamble and Unilever at the front of the supermarket line for over 50 years. Now, I just got to go on to something that you quote. That sounds quite good in your reader. Oh, yeah. Maybe my second career could be doing uh, excerpts from from the books. But I want to talk about a little bit more. I just want to turn the knife a little bit. Talk about how I want to talk about how the, the traditional model of advertising is changing and why brands need to think of a different way about how they talk to customers. And you quoted Scott Galloway from NYU mm-hmm. Stern School of Business. And he was talking about broadcast television. And he said, broadcast television is cursed with being a swimmer. And every 11 minutes, someone takes a dump in the pool. <laughs> you literally get interrupted by something that is shocking, is ugly, makes no sense, is disturbing, is totally out of context. And you literally have to stop swimming and go, what is going on here? <laughs> what is happening here? And two minutes later, you start swimming again. So, John, you talk about what's revolutionary about online video, and you say that it's what's revolutionary is that it's not TV 2.0. Explain. The whole thing about online video is you discover what you want when you want it. Now, yes, there will be some paid adverts into your feed, but if you look at the really successful stuff, this is when brands start 
talking like a publisher and thinking like a publisher Mm -hmm. and they start saying we're going to make somewhere online where people can go and they can find genuinely amazing content with our logo on it so if you take red bull at the top of the thing they're doing you know felix baumgarter jumping out of space that's kind of the model of the big hero stuff but then they're actually having much more success further down the funnel with this kind of hub content which we'll get into in a minute which is like regular episodes of what is it like to be a surfer in hawaii let's go and live with one and these are genuinely exciting interesting things to watch and engaging and people watch them again and again and again there's a logo at the end they're uninterrupted and they're just a consumable content but instead of being for a mass audience they are done at highly targeted um, niches and indeed micro niches so if there's a piece of content that you want you can you can find it you know, but I think on top of that, we do have video ads and video ads is a much more traditional model. But I think we have to be careful to look at the two the two sides. One is adverts and one is content. Um, and I think it's the content that's disrupting everything. The adverts work very similar to, to old ads in that you just shove them in people's feeds. But for me, that what's interesting is the rewarding, engaging content. So we have just done as an agency, we were at the British travel company. And we've had a TV presenter going around the UK doing four minute little inserts. Hey, I'm in the Lake District. I'm in Cornwall. I'm in, you know, all these lovely parts of the UK. Here's what you can do here. Um, And it's it looks like TV and it sounds like TV and it's great quality. It's really engaging, but it's got a brand logo at the end of it. Mm -hmm. So changing gears just a bit, explain what you mean when you and Mark Zuckerberg say... (laughs) That we're entering a, a video first world. What is this video first world that people need to understand about? If you look at all of the major social channels, LinkedIn even is doing it, even the Eastern European ones, the Chinese ones, they are prioritizing video in their feeds, which means that videos are getting prioritized above written content or above images. So when the social channels go video first, that means that's what they're pushing first. But equally, when people want a solution to something so for example if your oven breaks tonight and a little bit snaps off and you want to know how to fix the oven or make it hot or whatever you're more than likely to google it and then it will drive you straight to a how to fix your cooker or your oven on youtube so people are answering what they're looking to do with with videos first and that's it it's the first place that go people are going to for those solutions and because it's the first place people are going that's why it's being prioritized by the social networks and the social channels. So, you know, you need your brand to be in that space. Mm-hmm. And they know that people like the videos. That's why they're doing it. So yeah. uh, that's good. I've got a video that I show in presentations and it's, it is titled How to Bake Pancakes. And it has got four and a half million organic views simply because it answers that very simple question. Um so it's like it's 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 an incredibly powerful way of, of driving brand awareness. You know, you just make the right video with the right title and you can you can solve a lot of problems. Yes. And I should add that, you know, when you write a book about video marketing, there is mm-hmm. a website that you have set up, which we'll include in the show notes. It's video marketingstrategycom And you include links to every single video in the book where you're illustrating, basically, you're, you're showing people uh, what you're talking about, and we're going to include that. But I want to move on, and John, when I read a marketing book and it spends a lot of time talking about the human brain, I know I've got a good marketing book. <laughs> it's one of my favorite <laughs> topics. In fact, Mr. Mowat, this is actually a great content marketing book. You, you, you've snuck in a content marketing book into a book that just says video marketing strategy on the front. Yeah. So... Let's talk about why video is good at changing behavior. And let's talk about how the human mind reacts to things via the the two systems of thinking popularized by mm-hmm. Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman in his bestseller, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, a book that has been mentioned several times on this podcast. And I have written to and invited Dr. Kahneman on. If anyone knows him out there in the listening audience, please put in a good word for the Marketing Book Podcast. But if you could explain the two systems and why it's so applicable to video marketing. Well, yes. I mean, firstly, you need to get him on. He's the, he's the godfather of uh, contemporary thinking, really, in terms of it. So I think 
if we if we take a step back and we just look at how the brain works and this isn't a sort of a, an actual literal physiological sort of description of how your mind works but we make about 10,000 decisions a day um about food if you're just thinking am i going to put this in my mouth now am i going to eat that am i not going to eat that there is simply too many decisions every day for us to consciously be processing them so for example if when you leave the house if you had to apply the same amount of thinking to that as you do if you were buying a mortgage we would never get anything done um, simply making decisions takes effort um, and we haven't got that much brain power to be making really big conscious decisions so your brain has developed ways of making decisions in a sort of very quick shorthand subconscious low energy kind of way and these are the decisions like you step out in front of a car and then you see a car coming and you step back you know, you don't consciously think about that. If you meet somebody and you don't like them, you don't necessarily consciously think you don't like them. But there's some there's some immediate reaction. And the way we think about that is system one. And, and we call that system one because it's it's the baseline thinking It happens subconsciously. It doesn't take much energy, but it's what keeps you alive. It what keeps you safe. And it's the day to day stuff. Mm -hmm. Um now, system two is the more conscious decision. It's, it's much more frontal lobe. It's much more sort of cortexy. It's conscious thinking. And this would be you're driving along. Well, for example, we've all driven along the road and got somewhere and not really remember driving there. And that's because your system one has taken over and you've shut down a bit. And, you know, you're consciously you're aware of what's going on, but you're doing it on a low energy. When you get to your destination and you have to park your car between a, a bmw and a mercedes suddenly you're like okay i need to pay attention and you start consciously thinking about stuff mm -hmm. um so that's your system too it's like conscious decision making the exciting thing for marketers is you can if you convince somebody's system one that they on a deep level like you emotionally you don't need to have a sensible conversation with them. Um, so when you do have a sensible conversation with them, as in about features and benefits, they might actually rationally think about it and decide they don't like it, um, which is not something you need. So if you can talk emotionally to people, to their system one, and just get them to have a gut reaction to your brand, it's a much more powerful thing. And this is why video is so good for it, because if you connect emotionally with someone, you talk to that system one part of the brain, they can actually consciously decide they like your product before they even know why. Um, <clears throat> as an example of how these things work, if you are looking to buy a new house um, and you look around, the, you look around your city and you find three or four houses and you get a spreadsheet and you're just like, oh, well, this one's got these benefits and this is near to the kids school and this one's near work. But then you go into one house that's a bit further out but you love it. There's just some emotional thing. That is your house. That is your system one thing. I just have to live here. Then you go back to your spreadsheet and you'll find that actually you can quite easily convince yourself that all these values that you were judging it, oh, well, I'll give that a, a higher value because actually this, once you convince someone on an emotional level, they'll make the logic fit because they just want it. Um, so you'll end up buying a ridiculous house in completely the wrong part of town just because you love it so much. Mm -hmm. There was one part in the book where you quoted another uh, authority and you talked about how there's a belief that we are thinking people who are occasionally emotional, but it's actually we're, we're emotional beings that occasionally think. Yeah, yeah. And I think that is exactly the case. And, and unfortunately, I mean, we as marketers are getting much better at leveraging emotion. Mm -hmm. um, and this is also starting to seep into um, political debates. I mean, I know that we're not talking politics today, but if you look at Brexit in the UK and you look at some of the sort of other politics around the world, this is dealing with people on an emotional level. They, they're not really having detailed debates about policies and this kind of stuff it's just this is right and that is wrong um and you can manipulate people to do what you you want by doing that but on a sort of a less uh, severe method for us as marketers once you can convince someone that your brand is a good thing you can then get away with not having to have too much detailed conversation with them yes the customers will back it up rationally once you've got them emotionally and that's where video is so 
strong. And uh, having read the book, I was just reminded of why that is so important and why that's important to create great videos. And you, you talk about in the book quite a bit about how to create great videos. But John Moet, let me ask you a question. Why? I mean, come on. Why do we want to make great content? Why not? Why not okay content? Why can't? Why can't we just be satisfied with, you know, just get something out there, get some churn out? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, do you know what? I have why, to why say. Is it, why is it? So why does it have to be great? Come on. There is a place for both, um, and I think we, when you start moving beyond judging content on its own into a more strategic sort of year-long output for a brand, I think we can talk about how you can get away with weaker content, but. <clears throat> there is, I haven't got the statistics in front of me actually, but there is hundreds of thousands of pieces of content going up on YouTube. There's millions of blogs going up on and every day. There is a sea of content out there. Um, it's actually got to the point now where uh, marketing uh, professionals are uh, constantly saying that they feel that their content marketing is getting less effective. Um, in actual fact, only about three in 10 content marketers feel that their content is working, which means that seven in 10 content marketers might as well not have bothered. Um, and it's those seven out of 10 that are putting forward okay content. And it's the three out of 10, which are emotionally connecting, which get shared, which get pushed up people's feeds. Mm -hmm. That's why it has to be great because you need the seven other people to be the duff ones. <laughs> right. I've also heard this described by Mark Schaefer is it's content shock. And I, the thing I've, I like uh, or that I've heard about from uh, Eric Schmidt uh, from Google, they talks about if you take all the content that was ever produced from the beginning of recorded history up to the year 2003, mm -hmm. that amount is now being produced every two days. So there yet you another reason yeah. why it really needs to be good. And there's many other things you need to do to activate it. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But first, let's talk, let's help listeners frame it out. You talk about four categories of content that can be used all across the sales funnel uh, all year. And I'd like you to touch on each one. And it's Hero, Hub, Help, and Action. H-H-H-A, yep. or as I like to think of it as ha-ha-ha. Ha ha ha. Excellent. I've never yeah. Any way I can contribute to people understanding your book. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. I mean, any way that you remember these things. So there's a really interesting story around this. So um, YouTube was trying to find a sort of a, a governing principle of how they could talk about video. And they were working there's a, with an agency in the UK called We Are Social in the, for the ad, when they were working with the Adidas team. And they started thinking about how do we start categorizing video? So they came up with hero, hub, and hygiene. So I'll explain that first, and I'll explain why. Whereas ours is slightly different. So a hero film is that big, emotional, TV-style, 30-second spot. It's like, bang. It's, it grabs your attention, and you become aware of the brand. Mm -hmm. um, it's typically got a paid activation behind it. It's typically more expensive. Um, and within your sort of tentpole moments across the brand, you might only have two three or four of these a year they're they're or, or even less they are they're those big moments where you are creating a a thing i saw a lot of those in the world cup as i recall yeah you, i mean this is uh, the world cup is where people are really pushing those out felix baumgarter again jumping out of the, the thing anything around the super bowl these you know these these things are the big hero moments where brands don't talk about what they do they just they make these emotional connections mm -hmm. they're just like this is us we get you um, but below that is this content called hub content. And this is content which your brand puts out regularly, maybe once a week, once a month, and people come back and it's episodic. So going back to the, the, the Red Bull example again and the surfers, every week there's a new episode. And it's, it's, a, it's somewhere that you go regularly to fulfill your desire for content. So then the third content that, um, that YouTube used was this idea of hygiene. And they called it hygiene because it's daily um, in the way that you brush your teeth every day. Um, hygiene content is stuff that you might Google of like, how do I do this? I want to make this work. It's daily like content. Like fixing the oven when I get home today. Like fixing the oven. Yeah, exactly like fixing the oven. Now, that, was, that works for YouTube, but it doesn't necessarily cover the whole um, – 
spectrum of why you might use content. So a hurricane and in the book, I, I, I've changed hygiene to help because that says what it is. Help content is like, how do I do this? Um, and it just makes more sense. Hygiene's a weird word. But then we have a fourth piece of content called action. And action content is very short, very punchy, and it's designed to do one thing. Doesn't matter what that one thing is, it might typically be like, buy this, click here, go there. Um, and it could be content that sits, for example, on your e-commerce site next to the product. And it's that little thing that just gets you to put it in the basket. The reason that YouTube don't have it is because they don't do that type of content. So as far as they're concerned, it's dead to them, you know, mm -hmm. whereas actually it does exist in the full picture. Um, so the, the complete thing is hero at the top of the funnel, getting awareness hub is like constant footage help. How do I do it? Which is your organic search, your SEO stuff and go content. It's like, okay, you know who we are. It's time you got on and did something. So here's a little, here's a little nudge to push you over the line. Mm -hmm. And I like the way you call it action because it just brings to mind a call to action on a web on a mm. on a website. The same sort of thing. Where I think it's also something that people don't think that marketers are sometimes as keen on. I don't think it's true, but it's like, yeah, but I, I need to sell something. I need <laughs> mm. I need action. I need that ball to go across the goal line. So, and, and I think this is where it goes back to your full strategy. It's yeah. like video is a great sales tool. It's a great awareness tool, but it's also, you know, it's it's internal comms, it's HR, it's it's a, just a medium. You know, video itself, it's just a thing. It's really just content. You know, it could be as equally, you could talk about written content or still images in the same way. It's just how do you use content through the funnel? Mm -hmm. And in the book, just so the listener knows, there's quite a bit about how to plan all this video. And it's, for me, it was just like planning text content. It, it, it reminded me so much of that where you're you're auditing what you have and you're looking at the calendar and you're thinking about the customer and what the customer needs, their information, uh, how they go about buying. It was just, that's why I say it's a great content marketing book that you've snuck into this book about video. Yeah, um, so it, it reminded it, me of that. What's that? Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, that that's very true. I mean, video is another piece of content in your content marketing strategy. Um and it needs to sit. And for example, you know, you might have a hero piece, but then you're still going to do the white papers around it. And this brings me back to your earlier question of why can't we get away with OK content? And, you know, in in any content plan, you know, you've got those big moments, which is going to do the weight. But you sometimes just need to put stuff out regularly and maybe you could get away with something a bit weaker there. But it's not going to grow your brand in the long term, but at least it's a it's a point of contact. Yeah, and it reminded me of a diversified investment portfolio where you don't have all the same yeah. kind of thing, but certain things bounce out the others. And I keep reading and I, uh, about content trends, and I go to these conferences, and it's very, very clear that quality uh, needs to have more consideration rather than quantity because it's a, sort of a hangover from let's just get stuff out there, let's just get it out there. People will unfollow you very quickly. You know, if you if They'll put up with a little bit, but if you hit them with four pieces of content that are all duff, why are they going to follow you? If you're not adding something to their life, then why would they? Yeah, well, spoiler alert, they're not going to. So <laughs> they're completely <laughs> in control. Yeah, but everybody thinks that everyone else is interested in their products. And as David Merman Scott likes to say, no one cares about your products except you. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's a wonderful little thing up in the top corner of every video. And this gives the consumer ultimate power. And it's a little X in a little box. And it's like the power of the X. They don't, they don't like it. They ain't going to stay around. Yeah, it's thumbs down. I mean, we're back to the, you know, the uh, Roman Colosseum. Uh, <laughs> My God, imagine if it was full of marketers. <laughs> oh, well, there. <laughs> it would be a good day for the lions. It would be. But you know, John, as I was reading through the book, I just said, you know, I just wish there was like a magic formula for great video, oh, you know? Segway, segway. <laughs> and wow, there is one. And I'm going to tell everyone what the formula is, and then I'm going to ask you to explain it. Okay, are you ready? Yeah, sure. it's yeah S, I'm ready. It's S divided by P times A equals GC. Okay, so that means story divided by planning times activation equals great content. So, John, take us through what, what's meant by story <laughs> and what you mean by planning 
And planning does not mean let's do a video. There's quite a bit that goes into the planning. And then, yeah, and then follow it up right. with, uh, with the activation. Well, firstly, thank you for doing the formula. I mean, the formula is an interesting one because it's just how do we just bring this very complicated thing to life? So it was a way of hanging the chapters, really, and I think it's worked quite well. So it's story over planning times activation equals great content. So planning is the hub of it all. And that is like why, number one, what are we trying to achieve? For me, planning is like, okay, yeah, yeah someone, someone in the sales team says they need a video, but the planning is why are we doing it? Where is our brand going? What is the very singular point of that video? I think that idea of planning why needs to be done. It's like, who's going to watch it? What's a measure of success? Um, when we go back to the board in a month's time, is the only metric, hey, we made a video? And in, do you know what? If that is the only metric, then just crack on. Um, but it's more like, why are we doing it? What's the point of it? What's the message we need to say? So if you get that right, and that goes all the way through to kind of which channels is it going to end up in? So if I talk you through the planning journey as far as I see it, it's like, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? Who are we talking to? When are we talking to them? And where? And I think those two are becoming increasingly important. So what time of day, which channels are we going to do an Instagram TV cut down? Are we going to do a reversion for Facebook? Are we going to do a one by one square on Instagram? It's like you need to plan that now, because actually, if you're going to do a Facebook paid advert campaign, which is going to be six seconds, your content has to be able to be cut down into six seconds. So the amount of times we have been in meetings where they're like, well, we've got this 60 second brand piece and then we're going to do some 10 second cut downs for Facebook paid. It's like, yeah, but that that story takes a minute to tell. You can't just hack it. So it's like knowing where it's going to end up is is a really key part of the planning. So you've got to really think about why you're doing it. Otherwise, you're just going to waste your money. And then on top of that story. Now, story is the number one way that human beings communicate. We've told stories for hundreds of thousands of years based. You know, we sit around campfires and we communicate and um, we used to sit around campfires, don't go and eat those berries because they'll poison. Go and hunt over here. That's where the best hunting is. We've always communicated with stories. And when you tell a story, your body fills with loads of sort of different chemicals, dopamine and endorphins. And, you know, it's how we communicate. But your brand story has to be powerful enough to engage people. So for me, story is the most important thing because it's how do we engage emotionally? Which facts are we going to do? And how are we going to drive action? And I think I can talk more in a minute about what makes a good emotional story. Mm -hmm. And then the thing is, you've got this lovely plan. So you know where it's going to go. And above that in the formula, we've got story. And then the reason it's times activation is because if you don't activate it properly and do some paid or do some social or do something, no one's going to watch it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's by doing those threes together, that's when you get great content. And for me, activation is becoming more and more important all the time. Yes, and it brings to mind a book that's been on the podcast by Mark Schaefer, who I think I mentioned earlier as relates to Content Shock. His book is called The Content Code, and basically the book talks about how when you hit publish, that's really only the starting gun now. There's so many other things you have to do. So that's mm -hmm. when I saw the activation on there, I just said, oh, it's so true. But it's also one of those things where I think marketers see that and think, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> Where's that easy yeah. button I want? But you know what? It's worth well, I mean, doing. It, it, it's this idea that um, you know, I've got Hootsuite. I'm gonna up. I'm gonna upload it um, to YouTube, and I'm gonna upload it to Facebook, and uh, that's my job done. Mm. Um, but actually, is it optimized for search? Are your tags right? Are you hyperlinking to the right place? Has it got all that sort of stuff? Are you A/B testing the thumbnails? And then once you've done all that. How am I getting people to watch this? Am I going to talk about it only in my own channels? Because as my favorite book at the moment is, well, as always has been Byron's How Brands Grow, you know, very categorically, if you only talk to people who already know you, your brand is not going to grow. So activating your video to people who know who you are will engage them and it will do your subscription rates good, but it is not going to increase your bottom line in any way that we want. You have to get it in front of new people. So how's that going to happen? So say a bit more about story. And if you have time, let's talk about yet another, I guess, formula or acronym, which I loved was EFG, Emotion Fact Go. Yes. 
emotion fact go okay this emotion fact go is is a little technique that we use to structure typically corporate films and brand films in that if you have a short film you need to have something at the beginning that is an emotional driver um, in order to engage people and everybody says or well, often some brands obviously have emotional um, drivers so we work with people like unicef and cancer research and yes you can see an emotion but equally we work with b2b companies who you say oh we haven't got an emotional reason to use us well actually do you make people's lives easier do you save them money so they can work less so they can see their kids more you know there there's always a reason that people should connect emotionally with what you do when you've done that you can move into the middle part of the film which is fact and you want to tell as few facts as you can to get the job done. Um, typically, we'll sit in a marketing meeting and <clears throat> with the board of, and everybody wants their fact in it. Oh, well, it does this and it does this. And um, the way we do this is we get a little post-it note, loads of post-it notes. We get everybody's facts that they want and we put them all on the board. And then one by one, we go through and we challenge it. Is this the reason that people are going to use this? And then you end up with three post-its. And you use those three facts, bang, bang, bang. And that's the fact bit done. That was brilliant uh, in the book. And you show, you even had pictures of the boards with them on there. And I'm, yeah. we're going to be stealing some of these techniques. But before we go on to the leave facts, explain what the so what test is. I love it. Yeah, 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 yeah. The so what test is, it's literally that. So somebody will say, oh, well, um, it's 15% faster. It's 15% faster. You know, and I hold up the post and I go, so what? And they uh, and then I point at the emotional reason. I said, the, the reason they want to use your product is because they can go home early and see their kids. What is this fact? So what? Has that fact got anything to do with it? And they go, oh, well, it's more of a subsidiary fact um, for the white paper. Like, great, tear it off. It's not in the film. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> and, we, and we do sessions with brands where they're like, that is the most useful session we've had because you – if you can't say it in a 45 second brand piece, you've got a problem with your brand and and just working it through and guiding everyone to the central core of what's the emotional reason that people use you. And then what are those killer facts? Why, you know, what are the three main things? And they come away going, oh, okay, now I know who my brand is now. Yeah. Well, you know, there was also an, an alternative to EFG, which for me uh, linked it a bit more to story, which was set up change resolutions. Yeah, I mean the, the setup change resolution is the classic, um, the classic way that we understand stories. The going into the woods. Um, so there is there's a there's a lot of theories about stories, but all stories start with um, Little Red Riding Hood is at home. The the protagonist of the story is in a particular situation, and it's all good or it's all bad. Or but there's a, there's a central start. Then something happens that means that. They have to go into the woods. They have to go and face something or challenge something. And that's the kind of the middle bit of the story. And then all stories end up, they come out of the woods at the other end and they've either changed for good or for bad or someone's died. But, you know, that's that's the narrative arc that we understand as human beings as being a good story. It's satisfying. There's someone, something happens to them, they rise to the challenge and now something is different. So when we're telling a brand story, that works, you know. This is the status quo. This is the way we understand it to be. This is happening. So we are changing and look where we are now. It's that three part sort of narrative. And it doesn't work for all brands, but it's a really nice way of, of constructing a film. Agree that the human brain thirsts for stories and story format. Now, I, you may not agree with this, John, but I, I have to be careful and just remind marketers, be careful using the term storytelling because they're going to think you're making things up and you're not you're you're delivering information in a format that the human brain wants and also my concern about using or being careful about using the, the term storytelling for marketers is that uh, there is perhaps a, a misplaced perception of marketers as being arts and crafts party planners who work in the make it pretty department and, <laughs> and if there's studies that show that you know a lot of CEOs think that Marketers don't really understand where the revenue comes from. And if you come in and you start saying storytelling, they're going to think, see, I told you, now they're summer camp mm. counselors. So 
uh, I would just urge the listeners to be careful throwing that term around outside your marketing department, particularly as it relates to pitching uh, some, some new activities you're going to do. So, John, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? The thing that all, all the time that I come back to, the thing that I come back to time and time again is emotion. If you are not connecting at a genuine emotional level with your audience, with your customers, you might as well not bother. So it's like the one thing I would suggest is what is the thing that emotionally connects my brand with that person and then leverage that mercilessly. Amen. And you're given such a gift with moving video, moving pictures. And if you're not using that to activate the emotions, you're really, it's like good food going to waste. Absolutely. I mean, these mobile devices in our hand, you know, they move, the pictures on the move, so they grab our attention. Um, every time we touch them, we get a little kick of dopamine and we're addicted to it. So we've got these really sort of addictive lump in our hand, but people are looking for genuine um, emotion and genuine, like, I've just spent two minutes of my life on this device. I mean, I don't know about you, but I hate my phone more and more. I, I find myself throwing it down going, I don't want to be looking at that. Yes. But that's, that is always triggered by a piece of junk. And I'm like, oh my God, this is wasting my life. Yes. But when you get those moments of genuine connect, connecting with the thing, and there's a story and you feel something, suddenly that lump of plastic in your hand makes sense. Okay, that was a lovely experience. I'll do that again. Um, and more and more people will be putting their phones down. So finding what that making people have a worthwhile experience of their of their time with your brand is the way forward. Amen. And there was one other bit that we didn't get a chance to talk about, but you talked about how if people tend to believe things that they're holding. In other words, they believe what's on oh, the yeah. device more than they would yes. like watching a television. It all gets quite psychological, but I mean, there's 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 two principles: extension of personal self um, and um, the endowment effect. Now, the extension of personal self is basically we view our phones as our digital devices as part of us. You know, we we have our dating apps on them. If you're single, you have your kids' pictures on them. They're where you store all this vital information, and also the brand that you use reflects who you are, and they're part of your. They are part of us. Parallel to that is the endowment effect. When we have something, when we, okay, I'll go back a bit. The endowment effect is when you obtain something, it costs you one of three things, time, money, or effort, or all three. So just getting something means take something, whereas you've got it, doesn't cost you anything more. So you value things that you own more highly. So you mash those two kind of quite abstract concepts together, which is, that you have the phone, which you feel is part of you. And then when you see stuff on the phone, because it's on your phone, which you own, you actually value it more highly. The endowment effect means, yes, it's in my hand. I have it already. And there's been some fantastic studies which which show that if you show someone a product on a phone, they will pay more for it than a product on a screen on the other side of the room. And that's for two things. One, the fact that it's on your phone and you're holding it means you trust it more. The endowment effect, you own it already. You know, this is already part of my life. Great. I own this. But also people are willing to pay more on their phones because it's easier and it's, they're slightly lazy. But there's a load of really good psychology around the fact that we will pay more for things that, that are tactile. So if you see a, a product on a phone like a like a worktop for a kitchen or a cushion or something, the fact that you can touch it on your screen somehow feels that you're connected to it a bit more and you will pay more for it on a touch device. Yes, it's mental. So when, so when we do videos for um, holiday destinations or cars and we know that it's going to be seen on a touch device, we can actually feature a lot more of the the things that you would touch, like dashboards and stuff. And I don't know, it just it just makes it all work. It's clever stuff. Well, John, we can't give away all our trade secrets here. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what books have inspired your work and career? The three books that I constantly come back to and to this day have a slide on in my when I'm doing conferences. I'm like, go and read these if you haven't. The IPA, the IPA's book, The Long and the Short of It, mm -hmm. Byron, How Brands Grow, and Kahneman's Think Fast and Slow. I think if you haven't read those as core texts, 
you need to go and read those. Mm. Or, I mean, I paraphrase them a lot in my book, but I think at least an understanding is good. But for me at the moment, the books that are important are kind of parallel. They are, as I've already mentioned, I hate my phone. I'm really enjoying Cal Newport's Deep Workbook, The Distraction Action, um, by Alex Suyongking Pang, I think it is. I mean, I'm really interested in how do we step away from these horribly addictive, reactive frontal lobe devices and start actually doing some decent thinking. Um, and that's, you know, what we as a company are trying to do. So for me, it's like parallel to the work. But if you can't get away and think properly, how are we going to drive brands forward that's so true and i found that removing social media apps from my phone is a big help <laughs> it's hard for people to do that all of that i mean mine's now black and white i've put it in mono so it's less distracting um i turn it off at specific times we have a work we have a deep thought room in the office um, where there's no devices no phones no nothing oh, um, terrific. it's like how do you get a space where you can just think <laughs> basically yeah. so that's kind of what's driving me at the moment. We'll include links to all of those books at uh, your episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. So, John, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? You can go to video-marketingstrategy.com, and that is the the book that accompanies. That's the website that accompanies the book, and that's where all the uh, sort of accompanying videos are. And you can click a link there, and I'll get it. You can go to my brand website, which is hurricanemedia.co.uk, which is very much about the agency and what we do, and the sort of the classic Google my name, and and I'm all over the place. There you go. Yeah, it's M O W A T, and first name is J O N, and we'll include links to your sites, your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter handle, and uh, all of that at this episode show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com, which I mentioned. And for the listener, if you are not driving and you're listening on your smartphone and you have subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your podcast player of choice, like Apple Podcasts, for instance, all these links can be found by going into this episode on your podcast player and clicking on the show notes link, at which point you can uh, find John and tweet at him and link with him on LinkedIn. So the name of the book is Video Marketing Strategy, Harness the Power of Online Video to Drive Brand Growth. The author is John Mowat. John, Thank you very much for coming on the Marketing Book Podcast. Thank you. It was really enjoyable. Thank you for having me. And that closes the book on episode 206 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource for whatever situation you find yourself in, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist, to support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. Visit Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast or just click on the link at MarketingBookPodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Christophe Morin to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the book he has co-authored with Patrick Grenbois, The Persuasion Code, How Neuromarketing Can Help You Persuade Anyone, Anywhere, Anytime. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. This episode was produced by Sean Armstrong. <laughs>